Church, are you ready for the word this morning? Why don't you get your Bible out and we'll just share together and what God has to say for us. I feel like, uh, I know Pastor Jordan, Pastor Holly said Pastor Kathy may just fly in at any moment. I feel like it's Jesus. He might just show up anywhere. So I, I'm, on my, I'm on my best behavior today. We're so glad to be together and for what God is doing here. If you join us online, we love you. We're a church family on a mission. Can I get an amen? God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And so we're in a series now. We're spending some time throughout this fall. God, you know, God speaks to a church and, you know, God is speaking to the whole church. But, but God has a particular church called the Gate Church. And you're a part of that church. And that means that God has a word for you specific today. He has a word in season, come on, in season, in time, and in context. Whatever is happening in your life, God is speaking today. And so as a church family, we, we prayed, and, and as a church leadership, we prayed, and Pastor Kathy was praying, leading our team. We said, God, what are you saying to us as we move into this latter half of the year? And sure enough, God's speaking to us about prayer. So we've been spending a, a season of time focusing on building a deeper prayer life. How many of you realize that when crisis happens in your life, often it is God drawing you into a deeper place of prayer? God's not, God's not against you. Maybe somebody needs to hear that. Maybe somebody online. God's not against you. He's drawing you closer so that you can see the work of the Lord in your life, the miracle of God, and your life can be shaped. Your life is shaped through the power of presence and prayer in your life. And as crisis happens, uncertainty, I know our church has had a, had a season of uncertainty. We know it's not God punishing us. It's not God's wrath against us. He is inviting us to a deeper place because there is a place of promotion that we're going that we can't be ready until we move through the season of formation. I mean, can I get an amen today? I'm, I'm preaching. You can go ahead and get started. I'm, I'm just jumping right in. That, that's the Word of God to our house, and so that's what we're leaning into in a time of prayer. I know Pastor David Briggs was here last week. How many of you were able to see him? Raise your hand. You got blessed by that message. I love Pastor David. Thank God for the wisdom that he shared on being uh, positioned for purpose, and that's what prayer has a tendency to do. So why don't you turn to Luke chapter 1. I want to read. It's interesting. This is, as I prayed this week, we're, we're our... Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but it doesn't, retail stores don't need a whole lot of invitation to start Christmas. I mean, it may seem that we're, we are in we're like October the 3rd and the Christmas trees roll out, right? Well, I, you know, I, that, there's something, I understand where, there, where retail is going, but there is, there should be an expectation that stirs in the house of God about celebrating the incarnate Christ, the birth of Jesus. And you don't need a special season to do that, but Luke chapter 1 really is the, one of the first, one of the gospels introduction to this process of Jesus coming. And, and so in Luke chapter 1, we see the story of Zechariah, and I, I'm going to read it today out of a, a different translation. You can read it, whatever you have there, but uh, this is a common English Bible, and it says in verse 5, I'm going to start just for a few passages here, okay, just stick with me. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were, both, they were both righteous, look at this, they were both righteous before God, and they were blameless in their observation of all the, God, of the Lord's commandments and his regulation. They, but look at verse seven, that they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant and they were both very old. And your translation may say, because Elizabeth was barren. And look at verse eight, my, my version says one day, somebody shout one day. One day as Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, because his priestly division was on duty, following the custom of the priestly service, he was chosen by lottery. So in other words, that Luke is trying to say, it seems by happenstance, Zechariah just happened to be chosen on a certain day at a certain time, in a certain place. How many of you know, it might seem like coincident to you, but God's involved. That's what Luke is saying. It seemed like coincidence to everybody else, but God was in the middle of it. It was a certain day, a certain time. It just happened to be Zechariah's one day. So a lottery was chosen, and he had to go into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense. 
All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw that angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Look at this. Your prayers have been heard. Somebody needs to hear that today. Your prayers have been heard. You go on and on. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like you're pressing, you're praying. You're, you feel like you're petitioning God and it feels like a ceiling. How many of you ever had that? You just feel like there's a ceiling. But the angel says your prayers have been heard. What does that tell us? It says that even when I didn't feel like it, my prayers are being heard. Even when it didn't seem like it to me. How many of you realize God's not on your timeline? But your prayers are being heard. And look at verse 13. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son. You must name him John. Verse 14 said, because he will be a joy and a delight to you. Many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Back there in verse 8, Zechariah is serving. And Luke says, one day, somebody say one day as Zacharias served. I want to preach to you today about waiting for your one day. Waiting for your one day. Today might be your one day. You might step into this moment on a Sunday in October and it is the one day that you see a breakthrough. Are you in faith with me today? Anybody online, get in faith with me today. Father, I bless the people, bless the reading of the word. Thank you that your word goes out, does not return void. It changes us. We invite you now, Jesus, into this house, into this moment in your name. Can we shout amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sarah. You know, prayer in this season of prayer, prayer is the vehicle that gives birth to the promises of God. We say that again. Prayer is the vehicle that gives birth to the promises of God. And then faith and expectation become the catalyst for you to experience a move of God in the earth. So two parts, you, you enter into a place of prayer, but your prayer does not change God. It just changes you. Your prayer begins to acclimate your life to the things of God. And when you start to see, come on somebody, when you start to see the way God sees, your faith and your expectation get stirred up and you start saying some things. You start changing the way you talk. You start changing your language because times of prayer begin to mold us and they invite us into a season of formation. I wonder how many of you during our time of of studying and, and learning and, and growing in our prayer life have begun to pray dangerous prayers. And what is a dangerous prayer? Well, a dangerous prayer is Mary's prayer. Lord, be it unto me according to your word. How does the Son of Man come into the earth? Through the vehicle of a simple dangerous prayer. Lord, whatever it is you're going to do, do it through me and do it now. Mary's not trying to control God. She's not trying to give God direction. The angel of the Lord gives her a word. God speaks to her and she says, Lord, whatever it is you're going to do, just let it happen. Lord, I want to override my personal limitations of what I think is possible. I want to override the cultural tension that surrounds me. I don't want to just have friends that approve of me. I want a God who will use me. If I'm saying this dangerous prayer, Lord, let it be. I'm saying whatever else I have to give up in order to let that be, God, let that be. I don't want my personal agenda or my friendship popularity or my comfort level to dictate what God is going to do in my life. I want to pray a dangerous prayer that begins to stir on the inside of me the things of God so that my mind can get in line with the Spirit of God that lives in me. That's what's happening in, in a dangerous prayer. That's what happens when we, when we take the limits off and we say, God, I've been through. How many of you have been through a season where you've been discouraged? You've had times that were trials for you. You have difficulties. You have pressure on all sides. Is it just me? I've, I've been there. I made, I'm there now in many ways. But I know in those moments, it's not God punishing me. It's him awakening me to what he's about to do. 
It's God getting my attention. How many of you realize we don't get, we often become apathetic and lethargic when everything is going just as the way we wanted it to be or as the way we expected it to be. But God has a way of putting tensions around us like, a, like, a, like in Elijah, you hear the, you hear the, th- the thunder, the storm, you sense the, the, uh, the earthquake, you feel the earthquake around you, there's a fire that's burning around you, but it's not God trying to, to uh, punish you, it's not God moving you away from something, he's moving you into a deeper season of prayer. Can, I say, can you say amen? You're, you might be just one prayer away from your one day. Let me realize that. You might be just one prayer away from your one day. Zechariah is serving in the house of God. By chance, he is called into the, the priestly duty of burning incense, and it was his one day. And the, the, the angel Gabriel says, I have heard, or the Lord has heard your prayer. And can I, can I give, me, give you some good news? You're not praying alone. Somebody, somebody needs to hear that today. You're not praying by yourself. First of all, I can, tell, I can vouch for this house. We're praying with you. But here's, here's the beautiful part. While you are praying, you've been praying, Jesus has been interceding. <laughs> While you have been on your knees, Jesus has been at the throne of God saying, do you see John? Do you see Sue? Do you see my friend? Do you see my brother, my co-heir? I'm interceding at the place of God for the people of God. Jesus is praying and interceding for you while you are on your knee crying out to God. At the hour of incense in in this Old Testament picture here, this is this um, picture of Zechariah the priest, he's coming into the temple. There was a, a moment where a priest is called to burn incense inside of the temple and, and it was at, a, at the entry point of the mercy seat. Okay, so just, just a brief review. There is a place in, in Old Testament Israel, and it's what we have in scripture, that God, his presence dwelt. It was called the mercy seat and it was inside the, the temple, the place of worship. Before it was in a tent, as Moses led the people across the desert into the promised land. And the priest would go in and he would burn incense in front of that place called the mercy seat. And he did that because the incense, it represented the presence and the power of God, the Holy Spirit that dwelled inside of that place so that in order to get to the throne room of God, you had to go through the incense. In order to get into the place where you petitioned God, but the priest would petition on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sin, you had to go through the, the, the smoke and the cloud and the perfume and the fragrance of incense. So that is, a, that is a type, it's a picture for you and I. When you and I pray, I, in order to get to God, I have to go through Jesus already praying for me. In order for me to get to the place where I really connect with God, I have to go through Jesus. So you go through Jesus for everything. You go through his presence. You go through praise. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you're just listening to to a worship station. Maybe you're walking through your house. I don't know about you, but there are times that I just begin to pray in a prayer language. I just walk throughout my house and I begin to declare the worship of God. I begin to declare the things of God. Why? Because if I'm going to petition heaven, I have to go through the presence of Jesus. Look at Romans 8. We'll show it on the screen here. I want you to look at what Paul writes to, to the Romans. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31. So uh, Paul is, is explaining our position, our place as it relates to Christ. And then in verse 31, he says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against, against us? Can you say Amen. He who did not, look at this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Say all things. Now verse 33, who's going to bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies 
Who is it that condemns? It is Jesus Christ, the one who died for, and more than that, who was raised and who, look at this, is at the right hand of God and interceding, he indeed is interceding for us. So you and I know that as I'm praying, I have in my mind a, a little voice that says, you don't deserve that. You haven't earned that. You're not good enough for that. You haven't, you haven't qualified for that. But what happens in that moment, if you'll let it, is the intercessor enters in and says, I qualify him. I qualify. What you need to do is you need to get out of the courtroom, court, courtroom where you're judge and lawyer and jury, and you need to let get the right people in the right place. Put God on the judge, uh, judgment throne and put Jesus by your side as your lawyer and advocate and let him speak for you. There comes a time in a courtroom where the lawyer will say, you just be quiet and let me talk. And in your prayer life and in your petitioning, sometimes you just need to be quiet and let the advocate talk. Some of you have been letting your narrative in your mind, you've been letting your thoughts, you've been letting your history, you've been letting your experience be the advocate in the courtroom and you're going to lose every time. Because there's nothing you can do no matter how good it is, you can earn the place for the judge, the Father in heaven, to say that person is qualified. Except that the Son who he sent came down and interceded for you and is saying, that's my daughter, that's my son, I vouch for them. They're in my place, I'm in, I'm in their place, we are one. So Father, if you, if you qualify me, then you got to qualify him. There's a place in your life where you take off restraints and you stop using your logic for how God's going to move in the earth and you say, be it unto me according to your word. There is something powerful about the presence of Jesus that activates your faith. And if you're spending hours and hours and hours a day scrolling through whatever is happening around the world, feeding your life with 24-7 news, or talking to all the wrong people, then you're not spending time with the one person who can advocate for you and tell you who you are and show you the path to where you need to be. It's the presence of Jesus that stirs our faith. When you're in the presence of the incense, when you walk through the fragrance, there's something about that cloud that permeates your life and, it be and you become intimate with it and it impregnates you with a seed of promise. There is a, there is a you, know, you know how maybe a dandelion or there are other kinds of, time, kinds of plants that will essentially explode their, their, their seed into the air and creates like a, a, fertile, a fertile cloud. That's what the presence of God is. It is a fertile cloud for you to walk in and you get connected in that moment and then it impregnates your mind and your spirit with what God is doing in the kingdom instead of what you think is happening or is going to happen in your life or what someone else told you would happen. It's the presence of God. In Genesis chapter 1, you can look there and, and go back to the very first of the beginning. How does God create? How does God make? How does God form? Genesis chapter 1 says that in the beginning, the world was formless. It was void. And what happened? The spirit was hovering. There was a cloud of the Spirit. It was out of that hovering, out of that cloud, that water began to separate from land. It was out of that cloud and that covering that animals began to be formed. It was out of that cloud of covering that vegetation came from the earth and the sun was separated from the nighttime. And God said it was good. Why? Because it came through the cloud of His presence. It came through the hovering of the presence of God. Some of you just need to get still. You might feel formless. You might feel void. You might feel discouraged. You might feel like nothing's happening. But if you'll just sit still like the earth and let the Spirit hover over you, you, woo, presence and power and creation will invade your life and you'll become impregnated with creation. All of a sudden, vegetation starts to form. Fruitfulness starts to form. You don't make fruit happen, you let fruit happen. We'll say that again. You don't make fruit happen, you let fruit happen. 
Your life was created like a garden and it is ready to receive the seed. The difference is not your work. The difference is you're not allowing the seed to germinate and grow on the inside of you because you've yet to get in the presence and let the hovering happen over you and impregnate you with something powerful, something supernatural so it can be born on the inside of you. You're fighting a battle that a good, strong oak tree would take care of tomorrow if you just let the seed form. You can fight back weeds all you want, but until you let the seed grow, at some point in time, the ground becomes full of the richness of health and it pushes out the, the weeds. Uh, like in my, in my house or maybe yours, we, I have, I have uh, a weed control group come by and, and at the beginning, it, it's a lot of work. It seems like you got to push those, those weeds out, those broad leaves. I'm trying to get grass to grow. But what they tell me is if you'll, if you'll garden it right, if you'll take care of it right and give it the right amount of water, soon enough the root system will healthily grow. Well, there'll be a healthy growth underneath and it will keep those things from coming back up. So when my life, if I'm, I may, it may be in the beginning, I have to practice every 30 seconds. No, don't think that, David. Stop saying that. You can't say that anymore. You can't act that way anymore. It might take me every 30 seconds. I got to reset. But soon enough, I begin to get into the healthy rhythm of the Word of God in my life, and it starts to push out those things that are infecting my garden. It begins to push away those things that are trying to control me and keep the fruitfulness of my life from germinating. Why? Because I'm spending my time underneath the cloud. <laughs> I'm getting in the cloud. I, I, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm inviting you. Maybe you're online today. Maybe you just need to say, I'm getting in the cloud. I'm getting in the cloud. I'm going to get settled underneath the presence of God. You've been trying to do and figure out and reason and work all the situations out and you've been trying to control this over there. If you just let go and let the cloud impregnate you soon enough, the things you need will begin to birth around you and in you and you ain't even trying anymore. Come on, you're not even working for it anymore. You need to write this down. Praise and presence create an atmosphere that open a door for miracles. Praise and presence create an atmosphere. That's why Zachariah is burning incense because he's creating a presence. He's making an atmosphere. He's creating a space for God to enter in. He's, it's a replication of what's already there. Jesus is interceding. What Zechariah is saying, I'm going to make place for Jesus to come on in. I'm going to come to the throne room by walking through the presence. It's our way of praying this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. What's the rest? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When I'm praying that prayer, I am, I am walking through the cloud of presence. I'm looking around and saying, your kingdom is here in the cloud of presence is the doorway. It's the access point. So you, you need to remember this today. Praise and presence, the presence of God in your life, contending for peace is important. Why? Because as I get into that space, it becomes, the veil becomes thin and I can see, oh, your kingdom is different over there than what mine is. So I'm going to say this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done over here, just like it is over there. That you can't pray that prayer as you're standing in front of a wall. You need the veil to get thinner. Prayer and presence and intimacy causes the, the, the veil to get thinner and what is in there comes out and into your life. Heaven is not a place that's far away that you're going to go through one day. Heaven is just, is more real than what you're touching and seeing now. It's just on the other side of the veil. You just need to see beyond the veil. You just need to see beyond your own human limitations and see that God really is already about good works in your life and in the world. But your confession and your struggles keep you from seeing what God is doing. Amen? Some of you, your faith has started to come alive in worship again. The Spirit is hovering over your life with this seed of promise and it's coming alive. And you need to let it happen. In times of uncertainty, God leads us to a place of deeper worship. Let me write this down. Radical prayers are an invitation for formation. Radical prayers are an invitation for formation. How many of you realize in our life, 
we often like to go from radical prayer to radical experience or miracle. But right in the middle, there's a place of formation. In Jesus, remember this, in Jesus, it's always life, death, death after life, life after death. Life, death, life after death. It's always that way. Life, death, life after death. There's always a middle portion. Why? Because there are things in your life that can't go into the next season. There are things in you that have to die if you're going to live the resurrection life on the other side. And that place is called a place of formation. It's the place where you die and you say, Lord, whatever needs to stay here is going to stay here. But I'm coming up and I'm coming out. Life, death, and life after death. That's the process of God. That is not just the means by which you were saved eternally. It is the way you live. Life, death, life after death is the way you live. Lord, I invite you now to lead me to the place of dying. See, you don't want to pray that prayer. Somebody, you don't want to pray that. You don't want to pray that prayer. I know I lost everybody when I said, let's pray for, for, for Lord, lead us into a process of death. Nobody wants to hear that. Why? Because we're at a place in culture where the church became synonymous with the progressive uh, prosperity and growth, uh, upward mobility of a culture when God says, I'm leading you into death so that I can resurrect you into a new life that is not of this world, but of another world. And because you and I get so synchronized with how things have to be good and how things have to feel good, we resist the process of formation. So when you pray, God, lead me to the place of dying, you have to know you serve a God that loves you and he's not trying to get rid of you. He's trying to reform you. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to rebirth you. In fact, don't even think about yourself. He's trying to do something in the earth. He's just looking for somebody to say, God, let me be the one that you use. Somebody say, it's not about me. Your radical prayer is not about you. It's not about you getting your miracle. It's not about you getting your thing. It's not about God working out all your life. You don't need your life to work out just perfectly. You don't have to be in a certain tier of, of culture. You need the presence of Jesus in your life. You need the glory of the Lord to surround you. I guarantee it'll answer the problems you have with your kids. It'll answer the problems you have at work. It'll answer the problems you're having in your city. It'll answer the problems of violence. You don't need to take over anything. You just need the presence of Jesus. And until we get to that place where we say, God, your cycle is life, death, and life after death, we'll miss what God is doing in the earth. Hallelujah. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they found out that you can actually obey God and still end up in a place of hardship and trial. My God, surprise, surprise. I wasn't quite in the Gomer pile days, but I remember. Surprise, surprise. You can serve God, you can be obedient, and, and Luke says, and they were perfect in their following of God's regulation and His command, and the next verse says they were barren. My God, if that messes up your theology, you got all you needed today. Because if you think God is out to make your life perfect and everything work out, then you have missed what God is doing in the earth and in your life in particular. Because you can serve God, love God, you can have an amazing Sunday presence with Ashley and the team, and then you can walk home and not one thing is changed. But you might be changed. And that's the whole battle anyway. You might be changed. One of the temptations of consumer Christianity is we trend toward avoiding suffering, avoiding difficulty. Luke chapter 1 verse 6 through 7 says they were both righteous and they love God. There are some, listen to me, and you might, you need to remember this. There are some appointments in your life that God has set for you now that you're avoiding because you won't enter into difficult circumstance. That's a word for somebody. There are things that God has for you. You're avoiding because you won't go the path that he's led you to because that path requires you to die. 
That path requires you to walk away from what you control, what you own, what you know, what you have. You don't like it because as soon as you do it, you know so-and-so is going to have something to say about how it's not amazing enough, how it's not good enough, how somehow this just verifies that you're not as good as they thought you were. You're worried about some people keeping you into a box and you're closing the lid on yourself. You are avoiding appointments because of their difficulty instead of realizing God's the God of resurrection. What is what they're going to do? Take your life? Paul says, take my life. I'll raise up again. Put me in a box. God will undo the box and make it a castle. You can't stop the power of God. It's a question of who you're loving today, who you're serving today, and who you're praying to today. Your season of preparation can feel like barrenness. You might have to write that right across the top of your notes. Your season of preparation might sound and feel like barrenness, but it's God setting you up for a miracle. How many of you realize that your greatest season of rejection can turn out to be the launch pad for your greatest promotion? Jesus had to walk. This is what happens when you walk in perfect love, you invite rejection. You invite hardship because there is nothing about this worldly kingdom that is going to understand that language and you become a threat to this worldly power by walking in perfect love. If you start walking around, Pastor Jordan and our team, we led, our, led this weekend, we have something we call healing the heart, healing the heart and, and they talked about how to walk in contentment. I guarantee you start walking around in contentment, you're going to make somebody mad. They're not going to like that you feel like things are going okay and you're not all wrapped up and stirred up and constantly busy. Why? Because you won't come to the water cooler no more and talk about all the bad things that are happening. Because you won't enter into all the naysaying and all the dismal talk about which way the world is going and all of a sudden you're too good for us. Well, you must, what do you, who do you think you are? You're going to invite criticism because you're living in contentment and you're not waiting on this world to change. You're waiting on this one to change because that one's about to change. That is the invitation, invitation to a season of formation. And I'm thankful because as soon as I realize there's dissonance all around me and peace on the inside of me, that means I'm getting bigger in here. <laughs> it means that I've walked through the cloud of seeds of promise and I'm pregnant and the inside of me is going, whoop, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. No one else can tell except they just think it sounds weird and it looks weird. And I don't understand it and you're making me mad. So stop, go back to what you used to be. How many of you had friends that want you to go back to an old address? You got family that wants you to go live another way. I'm telling you, love will win. If you keep living this way, it will bring confrontation, but it will conquer every devil, every foe, every hardship, every difficulty. It will overcome whatever you're facing today. But you got to stick to it. Some of us love for a minute, then we get mad. You got to let it go for more than a minute, folks. It's, it's fine one morning to work up enough nerve to be nice and loving to that person that hates you, but do it three days. Try it for a month. Do it for a year with no change and see what happens. It might not change, but I guarantee you'll change. And there are things in your future that you're going to need that you can't avoid this season of formation for. I, I started to, to, I have this illustration, so if it offends the religious I don't want to offend you, but you ever heard of the story of the bird that was flying in the winter? It's a pretty common kind of story. There's a bird's flying, little, little tiny sparrow bird's flying in the winter and it's freezing cold. So if you're in Oklahoma or wherever you might be, we can have some really cold days. This last year we had, the, it seemed like the, the end of the world cold days, like minus 34 in Oklahoma. We've never seen that before. So all of our Canadian friends, I'm sure, just think that's summer. Um, <laughs> But not for us, so we were cold. But this bird's flying, and here's the story. The little bird's flying during a cold snowstorm, and it was so cold that the bird couldn't fly anymore, and he fell down, and he landed near a barn. And while, they were while the bird was lying down, helpless on the ground, and he was, was dying, a cow came along by and dropped a big poop on him. Okay, so I'm using the word poop in church. Is that all right? I don't know. Just 
They're like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it, okay? Using the word poop. All right. The poop was so warm, come on, that that the little freezing bird started warming up and his life started coming back and his heart started beating. He started to feel better. The bird was so happy, he felt so warm that he started to sing. Sure enough, a cat came along and heard the bird singing. And he followed the voice of the bird until he found the bird. He dug the bird out of the poop and he ate him. Three morals to this story, folks. Number one, not everybody who poops on you is your enemy. I let that, I'm going to let that just plop right there. <laughs> Point number two, not everyone who digs you out of the poop is your friend. I mean, this ain't the Bible, but it will preach. And point number three, sometimes when you're in big poop, just shut up. <laughs> now, you can say you've been to the gate church and God bless. You can just, we can dismiss right now, head on out the door. That, that's enough. There, there's a point in your life where the things going wrong for you are not against you. They're helping you. And instead of trying to find your other way out or you're, you get in a place where you think you need to work it out, you just need to be quiet. One of the, listen to me, this is somebody today, one of the greatest hindrances in your life is not the attack that's coming from the outside to you, it's the turmoil that's going on inside of you, and it's the words coming out of your mouth. Now, I I really think that is something somebody needs to hear. Maybe it's online. Two things that are struggling in your life, the turmoil in here and the words right here. It's not what somebody's doing to you. So the moment you say, if that person, you need to check yourself. If, if this would just, if I could just, if I had just every one of those little starter sentences are no good for you. Because the greatest challenge in your life is the turmoil in you and the words coming out of your mouth. Your words are either leading you away from God's provision or towards God's provision. And in Zechariah, you can keep reading, but God had to shut Zechariah up so the promise could come. Because Zachariah's mouth and his words would have got in the way of what God was trying to do, so he shut his mouth. I'm here to tell somebody today, God's put you in a place of hiding. He's covered you up, and it might feel like you're in a pile of poop, but if you'll just wait, shut your mouth, and, and hold tight, God will work his miracle, save your life, and move you to your place of promise. God will often put you in a hidden place to get you in the, in the place in the way of what he's doing in your life. But we're too busy cursing what God has allowed and we can't get ready for the seed of promise. I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm frustrated. God's not doing this. He's not hearing me. That ever, you, can, you can read all throughout Scripture, and all throughout Scripture, there are people who say, you can look in Daniel, you hear in Zechariah, you can look all throughout Scripture, people who say, I've been praying, I've been praying, and God will actually send an angel from heaven to say, we heard you. The angel never shows up and goes, were you talking? Did you, did you say something? I, I, I'm sorry. Could you speak up a little bit? No. The angel says every time, your prayers have been heard. So you might be frustrated and discouraged and you think things aren't going good and you're so angry and you're so mad, but God's trying to get you to a place where your heart is formed and your mouth is right because where you're going, if you step into that promise with that attitude, it will kill you. It will take the life right out of you. It will destroy you and your family. There are multiple stories of people walking into a promise and not being prepared and it destroyed not just them, but those around them. And I'm not talking about a one-time event. This is a cycle. You get this, right? It's a cycle of your life. You do this every day. Lord, prepare me today for what you're preparing me for. That's my prayer every day. If Satan can, can get your words, he will steal your focus and cause you to be in distraction. I know lately, Jennifer and I, we've been like my wife, Jennifer and I, we've, we've had plans. And so I'm, I don't know about you fellas, maybe the men can, I don't know if this is a man, woman thing tends to be, I guess. I need, to st- I need steps one, two, three to go in order one, two, three. But, but with my wife, if there's 10 steps, I could be on step three and she's talking about step eight. And I want to say that I've been kind and compassionate, but I got upset 
a few times. I'm, I'm just confessing here. I, I get frustrated because she's talking about step eight, and I'm over here on step three, and I'm just saying we're only on step three, one A. So stop telling me, stop talking to me about step eight. I can't do it. My poor, my poor brain is overloaded. I got smoke coming out the ears because I can't focus. That's me. She's a brilliant woman. She can do all 10 at one time. I can only do step three. So somebody help me. I need to focus. <laughs> That's what I tell her. I need to focus. Don't talk to me about step eight. Now, that's a natural thing. God bless her. We have partners in life. She's free to think in step eight, and I want to keep her from it. But there is a principle of focus in your life where you must do the thing that's in front of you now because it requires your energy, and it requires your focus, and it requires your words because you can't go past this step until you get to the, and you can't get to the next step until you go past this one. So if the enemy, what am I saying? If the enemy can steal your focus away and get you distracted and start thinking about step eight, nine, and 10 or what all those things have to worry about, then what are you doing? You're depleting your daily bread of the provision God gave you now to deal with what's in front of you today in this moment on this hour. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't need tomorrows. I don't need next months. I don't need provision for the thing to work out that needs to work out 20 days from now. I only need today's daily bread. And the moment I start deferring and taking that stuff away and shoving it in my pocket and trying to steal from the next day, you know what happens? It rots in my pocket. It becomes toxic to me. Why is the thing, the energy and the provision that God's providing for you become toxic for you? Because you're hoarding it. And because you're not trusting that it is enough for today and it's enough to share to somebody else. And every portion of your day's bread is enough for you and enough to share. And at the end of the day, you should not have any left. Now, you can use that analogy however you like. We can move into finances. I'm not saying empty your bank account and open up the next day and go, God, please fill it again, Lord. I'm not saying go down to Best Buy or go wherever you're going to go and spend all your money and say, Pastor David said. What I am saying is that God has provided enough for today. You have to discern what that is. What portion has God provided? And then you have to believe that it's enough for you, enough to give away, and God will provide for tomorrow. Can I get an amen? That's what happens when my language of faith begins to get in line with what God's doing. Now, I know we're going to go. Let me share this with you. Four quick points. I'm not going to expound on them. I want you to write them down. What do I do while I'm waiting? Because I want to get you out of here. Praise team, worship team, come on up. What do I do while I'm waiting? Here's what you do. Write these things down. Number one, don't rush the season of gestation. Don't rush your season of gestation. You can pray all you want to for that little baby that you just found out is growing inside, but it will take 40 weeks to get them here. So go on and pray and get mad and start shaking your fist and start doing whatever. It ain't going to make a bit of difference because the season of gestation has to happen for your life. It's going to be uncomfortable. Ladies, can I get an amen? It's going to be inconvenienced. Ladies, Inconvenient. And it will test your character. <laughs> I'll just keep going. It will test your character. It will test your character. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, don't let me do my, your thing my way. Father, help me. That's what Jesus is praying. He's not, Lord, he's not saying, pray this way. Don't, Lord, help me not to be tempted to lust. Let me not be tempted to gossip. No, he's saying, God, don't let me, Lord, help my disciples do what I modeled in the wilderness. I'm not going to get the Father's provision my way. Lead me not into temptation. Trust to God. I found that the process of waiting, listen to this, it often uncovers the things on the inside of me that are ulterior motives and agendas that I have that I've been, I've been disguising with religion. Well, that hits, maybe it just hit the back wall. When time of waiting happens in gestation, it brings to the surface the things I was using religion to hide and trying to use language like church language to keep aside. And before long, God says, nope, nope, it's going to come right to the top. And when it comes to the top, that's when you can deal with it. Don't rush your season of gestation. Write this down. Number two, guard your company. Guard your company. 
while you're waiting, guard your company. In Luke 10, 1, in the verse 10 says that all the people were gathered around and they were in prayer. One of the biggest factors of your, in your season of process are the voices you have in your ear. You need to surround yourself with the right voices at the right time. In seasons of transition for my life, I've learned that for that season, God has specific voices. And instead of telling God who I wanted to be, I just let those voices in at the right time in the right place. Every voice is not going to tell you. Sometimes the voices seem to be disagreeing with one another, but I learned the Holy Spirit is trying to get a message to me, and he needs that person to deposit part of the message, that person to depart another, and that one to another. But I have to be attentive and guard my world, my season, my seed, and my company. Number three, your words. Because why? Because your words become the gardener for your seedbed of promise. Your words become the gardener. God shut Zechariah's mouth because his words were digging up the seed. His words were causing the seed to be aborted. So you have to get acclimated to the new language so that your words begin to cultivate. When I was growing up, I grew up in the South and my grandfather would come over to my house in the summer. I was 15, 16 years old. I don't know if you have, if you had a lot of experience, 15, 16 year olds, they like to sleep a lot. I think it's because their body is growing, you know, they, or because they stay up till three, that might be another reason. My son's back here. He's waiting for me to just, just being a, give him as an example, but you, you're tired, they're tired. And so when I was 15, 16, I was tired. You know, I didn't, I'm in the summer. I don't, I'm not got school. I want to sleep and play video games. My grandfather's coming over, knocking on the door at 7.30 a.m. He says, hey, and then I'm just all groggy. He said, hey, granddaddy. He said, your daddy called me and said I could come get you to work in my garden. How many had fathers like that? It's just, they, they, they call that slave labor, right? Then we call that, I think they call that, that's not good. He says, your daddy said, so, I'm, so I have to get ready. I'm going out there to the garden, to his garden. My granddaddy's a gardener. And he puts me on the tractor and he gets behind there with his plow. And so I'm, I ain't even got my license. I'm up on the tractor and I'm riding along and he's yelling at me, to the left. No, more to the right. And he's yelling at, we get to the end of the road and he comes out and you can tell he's dripping sweat and he's frustrated as he could be. And he looks down here and says, do you see that pea right there? Do you see that little grow thing out of the ground? Don't run over it with the tire. He was from the South, so he had said tar. Anybody from the South, you know what I'm talking about. He said tar. Don't run over the tars. What was he doing? He was trying to protect the seed. He was trying to make sure that when we all got said and done, there was something left to grow because the cultivation that was happening didn't need to cover up the seed or uproot the seed. It just needed to create a straight line so the seed could be built up and the dirt could be built up around it and it had a nice safe place. And when we were plowing away, we plow up those weeds along the way and we pull them out because he was trying to make sure the garden could grow. Your words are the cultivation in your life. They're creating rows so the water can run down the rows and so the weeds can be weeded out and the seed on your in, in life in your life can grow on the inside and can sprout up your words are the gardener I'm asking you today what are the words out of your mouth saying about the garden God's planting we have to protect our words your words serve as a caretaker and why don't you stand with me you got to know you're writing things down but just stand with me we're going to pray the final thing is this You've done all you can do. When you've done all you can do, what do you do? You stand up. You stand up and you pray. You might have to stand up and face the wind. There's actually a story about bison. When bison, a group of bison, when they want to, to uh, face a storm, they don't turn away from it. They turn towards it and they begin to walk towards the storm. Why? Because the storm will pass over them and be behind them by the time they can, they can move through it instead of trying to run away from it and the storm keeps chasing them down. So in your life, when you've done all you can do, if you're online today, you've done everything you could do, you just stand up. You not need to stand up right now and you face that storm and then you speak the words of God.
You know, Jesus looking at the storms and the waves, he's not just practicing a Jesus thing, he's showing us how to be us. You look at the storm and you say, peace be still. I'm calling for calm in your life today. I'm speaking to this congregation. I'm telling you today, your words are gonna be reformatted through this season of trial and suffering, but it's a gestation period and you're growing on the inside and you will not be the same on the other side. Are you with me today? Why don't you raise your hands? I believe for you right now, there's a prophetic word coming to this house. You've done everything you can do. You've said everything you could say. It's time to stop talking and just randomly coming about with things to do. Now you just need to say, my praise is my entry point. Ashley and the team are gonna lead us, but we're gonna create just a moment, a cloud. As she's going to lead us, we're going to create a cloud. I want you to get in the cloud and let the seeds just permeate, permeate your life. Get in the cloud of presence today. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Oh. your people. I speak your strength over their life. Lord, we don't, we don't absolutely have to have the perfect scenario to respond. But if you're here today and you say, I need to take a first step, I'm away from God. Maybe you just say, Pastor David, I'm away from God. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to start, but I need you to pray for me today. I want Jesus. I need his presence in my life. Maybe just lift your hand. Just say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I cannot go another day without him. Hands all over the building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the building. We're giving Jesus our life today. Just lift your hand. Lift your hands. Father, with these hands lifted up, Lord, I'm praying. Just say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my heart. Here's everything I have. It belongs to you. If you're online today, tell us, are you praying this prayer? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life and take over. You're enough. You're provision for my life. I want my life and my heart to be changed today. I'm praying a radical prayer. Change me according to your will, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your people today. I bless them. I bless them today as they go in your name. Our, our worship team and our, and our prayer teams are going to be at the altar. If you have a response, something you need to be prayed for, if you have something that you want us to agree with you, I'd like our prayer teams to grab your hand, just agree with you right here at the front. Would you do that? We bless you today. Thank you for being a part. We'll see you next week.